0: We had an exciting evening last Sunday night with uh, Nick Wilson as he shared about hymns. And one of the things I appreciated that Nick did was he encouraged us to really think about the words, and that is so important. So many times we sing these hymns, we go into just kind of an overdrive, we don't think about what we're singing, we love the hymns. We love what they mean to us and our tradition of singing them, but I fear too often we've just gotten to where we kind of do it in a rote fashion and we don't realize the depth that we're singing about. And we do need to pause. It is the text that's important. When you go to music school, that's one of the things they drill into. The notes, and all that is beautiful and that's what people listen to, but it's the words that touch and transform. And so as we sing, I hope that you will do that. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, continuing to talk on spiritual gifts. I introduced spiritual gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit last week, and we're continuing on talking about the motivational gifts. If you'll join with me as we look at 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 1. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers... And sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit, There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And jump with me to verse 11. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do come to you again asking you to open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds, Lord, to what you're speaking. Lord, I just love how unique and personal you are with each one of us because you can speak in a unique way to each person sitting here You can translate what you've given me to say to the unique needs of each person. And so, Father, I pray that each heart would be open and receptive to what you are speaking, what you're wanting to say in their lives today, and that they may glean from this message what you have for them today. We thank you for Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit, Lord, that he sent to us when he returned to heaven to come, be a help for us. And it is in Jesus' name that we gather here and pray. Amen. I'm wondering if any of you have had an experience like I've experienced in giving a gift to someone or doing something for someone and it seemed of no matter of no importance to them. They didn't seem to appreciate it. They didn't say thank you, perhaps, or they even may have acted like they didn't really want it. Anybody ever experienced that? Come on, be honest now. Yeah, we've all done that. We give a gift, it's out of our heart, but it just doesn't register. It doesn't seem to matter to them, and we're dejected. We we wish that they would appreciate what we've done. We maybe knew that it wasn't, such a great thing but it was a gift of love from the heart or an act of love and when it's not received it just crushes our spirit a little bit makes us hesitant to do anything again we have in john chapter 14 words from jesus where he says if you love me keep my commands And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And there's a picture I did for an illustration. And I wonder if that's how Jesus feels. Jesus, when he was going back to heaven, he didn't want us to be alone. He didn't want us to be abandoned. He knew the disciples especially who had walked with him had developed a deep love for him, a relationship, were going to be dejected, that he was no longer around. And so Jesus, in his love and care, sought to comfort them and to let them know that he had to go back. But when he went back, he was going to send something really even better, if if you can perceive of that. How could something be better than Jesus? But Jesus said, I'm going back and if I go, I'll ask the Father and he will send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Counselor, the Advocate, and he will abide with you forever. How is it better? When Jesus was here on earth, he was in a finite body. He was the God-man, but that man part, he could only be in one place at one time. He could only interact with the people right around him and so he was limited not because uh, uh, of anything except that he placed that restriction on himself by taking the form of man that he could only be in a finite place at a finite time and only in one place at a time but when he left then the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit came, and the Holy Spirit is not restricted in time or space or location, and the Holy Spirit is able to indwell each and every person who is called upon the name of Jesus, who abides within them, who lives within them, and so wherever you are, God is with you through the person of the Holy Spirit. God is present in this room at this time. He is present in each and every heart of those who have, have called upon his name. And we, when we disperse, when we dismiss and go our separate ways, we don't leave God here. He continues with us because he is within us. And so Jesus has given us this gift. Those words there, I will ask the Father and he will give you by sending the Holy Spirit. So this is a gift that Jesus has given to us, and we should receive it. And if we don't receive it, if we don't partake of the teaching of the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are like that little girl there rejecting the gift. Maybe we don't mean to do that. Maybe we're not trying to hurt Jesus' feelings, certainly, But by not partaking of what he has done for us, we are turning a cold shoulder to his work and his gift in our life. The Apostle Paul knew we could do this, and this is some years later after Jesus had ascended and Paul had become a Christian. And he encourages the church of Ephesus by saying, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That sealing is what happens when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. We receive the Holy Spirit, and that is a, a, a promise of our inheritance of heaven. God comes to be with us forever. God has said, no man can pluck them out of my hands, and, I, and that means me either. And so we are sealed by that Holy Spirit. But if we do not uh, utilize the working of the Holy Spirit in our life, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We grieve God because we don't uh, partake of what He has provided for us. Paul went on to say, do not put out, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And as I was studying these scriptures, I started thinking of when I was a boy growing up, my dad was into camping. He had a VW bus. And when we lived in Florida, we would drive that out on the beach. We would drive it to places you can't drive it anymore. I've been down there and they built up with condominiums and other things, the places we used to camp. And in one particular time I'm thinking of, dad took us to to a state park down there. And of course, we would make a campfire. Dad would have a big old iron skillet and he'd fry bacon and eggs in it and cook for us boys, and, and we would eat good. And in this one particular time, this is a side story, it's free of charge. At night, Dad wanted to save that grease for breakfast in the morning, so he just kind of slid it underneath the truck so the dew and leaves wouldn't fall into it. And he was going to reuse it in the morning. So we go on to bed. Everything's fine after telling our ghost stories and other things. I'm sleeping in the front seat of that VW bus, and I wake up, and it's heaving. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What on earth? It's not an earthquake. This is northwest Florida. Sand doesn't do an earthquake. It wasn't a sinkhole. That thing's just riding. Well, Dad gets up, and he looks outside, and a wild hog had found that bacon grease. It was licking it up and scratching its back on the other side of that VW bus, lifting it up every time he scratched. So that was part of our adventure, and that morning we didn't have that bacon grease to use. But we would build a campfire, of course, and when it was time to go to bed, it was time to put that out and to make sure it was completely out You would scatter the coals and then douse it, quench it with water to make sure there were no live coals so that a fire would not flare up during the night by some brush falling on it. Well, that's the picture we have here of quenching the Holy Spirit's fire. We can quench His work in our life through our unbelief, through our refusal to learn and to grow, and by our refusal to obey God. Romans twelve one and 2, Paul writes again, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, for this is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we have constant teaching from Jesus, from the Holy Spirit, from the later disciples, apostles that he appointed to learn and grow and to delve into the scripture. In Hebrews, we are are warned to get off of the milk of salvation. Salvation is a wonderful life-transforming experience that each and every person needs to undergo in order to move from death to life, to move from enmity with God to uh, fellowship with God, and to move from a life of eternal separation to a life of eternal presence with God. It's a, it's a, a key moment in, uh, in our lives that each and every one of us need to experience and it's it's enticing to want to stay there when something's wonderful. We want to just stay there and keep drinking it in, but we need to grow beyond it. Our children, we start them out and we give them milk, or maybe in the form of formula, but we nourish them in that way. But we cannot let them live the rest of their life on that milk or formula. We have to teach them how to partake of solid food. They need the solid food, the protein, the fiber, the vitamins that come from all those foods. If we only give them milk for the rest of their lives, they will be anemic and weak in their bodies. And so it is as Christians, we have to move beyond, move beyond those basic teachings of salvation, of baptism, and that's what the writer in Hebrews is writing to us that by now we should be on solid food. And so we need to grow, and part of that growth is understanding who the Holy Spirit is, what his work is in our life, and tapping into what God, Jesus Christ, has provided for us. He's given us a challenge. He's given us a job to do. He's ordered us, Go ye therefore into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them all things. In Acts 1 and 8, ye shall, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. God has given us this instruction, this command to go, and we can feel so inadequate to do what he has called us to do. And we... Are inadequate within ourselves, but God has provided us Himself through the person of the Holy Spirit to give us a wisdom beyond our wisdom, to give us a strength beyond our strength, and to give us resources above that which we are able to do. And He will provide. And so, in order to accomplish what He has given us to do, we need to dig in to who the Holy Spirit is and who his, what His work is in our life. And, and I regret that there are many across history, uh, even today, who dismiss the Holy Spirit. Some of them just think it's the collective kind of Spirit of God, and they just refuse to believe and accept what the Bible teaches, that it is a person, a third person of the Trinity of the Godhead with his own unique abilities and work in our lives, just as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and all of these are involved in our growth. And so if we go back to our passage in 1 Corinthians 12 and talking about spiritual gifts, specifically looking at verse 4, it starts out, And it says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Different kinds of gifts, different administrations, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So we have a... Diverse and a multifaceted God, and He works in us who are multifaceted individuals. We have different backgrounds, we have different abilities, we have different intellects, we have different desires, loves. We are different people, and thank goodness we are. It makes life interesting, makes life challenging. But it is the same God that is working in all of these gifts. And so in order to help bring that down to something manageable to remember, we want to we can use some alliteration. Pastors love alliteration. And, and we'll break it down, these three classes of spiritual gifts, this way. Verse 4 says there are different kinds of gifts. This is the gift that each one of you who have believed on Jesus Christ is given. It is a motivational gift. As a Christian, this is what drives you. This is what uh, floats your boat. This is what where the rubber meets the road. All those different adages. That's your motivation. Each person is given a motivational gift. We've studied that last week. We read it this week. The Holy Spirit distributes this, each one, as he desires. So the gift you have was specifically chosen from God for you. It's not happenstance. He didn't just throw some stardust in the air and see what lands. He chose what he wanted you to have. The next one, different kinds of service, is ministerial. This is how you use your gift, and that's multifaceted. And then finally, different kinds of working or manifestations as you work within your gift, in the place of service, there will be a evidence, a manifestation of that. And we're going to spend some time over the next three weeks looking at these different classes and the gifts within each one and make sure we don't put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. We want to make sure that we have things in the right order and that we effect them in our lives the right way these motivational gifts, there are seven that are outlined in Romans chapter 12. There are, there's 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and there's passages in Hebrews that talk about these gifts. These seven motivational gifts are what you see on the screen there. The first one, proclaiming truth, prophecy. We're going to talk about these briefly in just a little bit. The next one is serving. Easy to understand. Teaching. Exhorting is encouragement. Giving. Ruling and showing mercy. These are the seven motivational gifts. Each and every one of you here that has accepted Christ as Savior has at least one of these gifts. And you may be able to look at that and say, well, I know mine is this and that's good. I am ordering a survey for each one of us or each one of you that want to, to take that will help make sure you know and discover what your spiritual gift is. And, and I'll have those for you in the next week or two so that you can take that and we will assemble them. And in doing that, we will also look at them to see how God has equipped his church here with this variety. So we have these seven motivational gifts, these seven abilities. These are different than talents. Talent is singing or sewing, these kind of things. This is a spiritual gift that God has endowed each person with in order to be a part of accomplishing the mission for their life and the mission for the life of our church. Proclaiming truth or prophecy. This is not being uh, I've been trying to think of her name, Jean, the the famous seer from years past. I can't think of her last name. Some of y'all pull it out there. But the one who would tell the future, that is not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about reading tea leaves or a crystal ball or or your palm or any uh, nonsense like that. Prophecy in this term, in this New Testament, means to proclaim the truth. And a person with the gift of prophecy is one who forth tells the truth and the truth of the scripture is very important it's very critical to that person matter of fact it can override uh, anything else and even in their pursuit of forth telling the truth They can hurt people's feelings, and I'll illustrate that in just a minute. So that's what proclaiming the truth is. It's an intense importance on God's word. Serving is one of those that's easy. It's one who has the gift that's fulfilled by seeking to meet the physical needs of those around them. They enjoy meeting a need in your life and in others' lives teaching one who instructs clarifies and preserves the truth and we'll we'll go into each of these a little deeper but I'll say teaching is one who also loves research a lot of people like telling you what to do but not many really like to dig in and do the research to go into a library to go into a book and just devour every Uh, word in there. They can actually get kind of boring to some of us because they really just love the nitty-gritty of the text, and we're kind of wanting the the magazine form of it. So that's a person with the gift of teaching. Exhortation is one who urges another one towards some specific behavior or action. Encouragement is another way that we would say this. They're, They're Usually positively saying, you ought to go for it. You have this ability. You're good at this. You need to do that. You need to use that skill you have. They're encouraging us to act upon our abilities. Giving. Giving is not just handing it out, but a person with the gift of giving is a person who has the ability to make money, to gain resources, and I bet you know somebody in the course of your life who just seems to have that golden thumb, that Midas touch. They just seem to, whatever they do is prosperous, and they just make a lot on it, and you can try the same thing and and go busted. People with the gift of giving have the ability, again, to gain resources, to make money, but not for their own purposes, but so that they can give it to God's work to fund the work that needs to be done. So that's the gift of giving. Ruling, another word for that is administration. It's a person who has that ability to see the big picture and to organize others into a cohesive uh, force with a direction of focus in order to accomplish a task. That is a very specific ability and need, and God has endowed some people with that, showing mercy, one who identifies with and comforts those who are hurting. Let me give you an example. You have somebody, have lots of people, who have some hurt occur in their life. Maybe it's physical hurt, maybe it's a physical issue, Maybe it's, uh, they've been wounded deeply emotionally. Maybe they've felt great loss. But you have a person who has the gift of showing mercy, who comes alongside, who gives them the hug, who supports and embraces them and just helps them to feel better. And we need those people. Those are very important to us. Then the person with the gift of prophecy comes along. And this person is so intent on the truth that they're the ones who'll say, yeah, that wouldn't have happened if you would just followed this teaching. God says, this is what you should have done in your life. And if you'd done that, then that wouldn't have happened to you. They're speaking the truth. They're telling you God's word, but it's not quite what you want to hear at that moment. You want that hug. The problem is the person with the gift of mercy, if all we receive is that, does not strengthen us, enable us. It doesn't teach us anything. It just soothes our feelings. It helps us get through. It is the need for that gift of prophecy because we do need to grow from a situation. So you have these two gifts that can be at loggerheads and causing problems but both are necessary in a person's life when we have a child who is struggling who has some child challenge who gets hurt initially we need to uh, embrace them and comfort them and let them know they are loved they are special they are uh, 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 cared for but in those times that it was through their mistake we then need to go on as parents at the right time and it's usually a timing issue to teach them how to not go there again and so that is a very necessary step if we just uh, hover over them and and tell them it's gonna be all right baby you're okay then they won't grow from the situation. And unfortunately, most of us humans, when we grow is when we experience pain. It's not when the good times are. It's when we suffer some lesson. That's just, we're kind of dense, we're thick-headed, and that's usually when we learn from something. If it is not a fault of that child or that person that this occurred, there also needs to be learning of how to deal with disappointment in life. How to deal with jerks, because we got them all in all walks of life. How to deal with those outside forces that seek to lower our esteem, to make us feel like less than we are, to attack us. And so we need that growth if we are to grow into the kind of mature adults that we need to be in order to face this world. So that's one way that the two gifts another way we talked about teaching and i talked about a teacher person with the gift of teaching loves research and they love clarify a uh, a pastor with the gift of teaching might be one who would get in here and they would just run you ragged saying now the greek on this word means this but if that has this little glitch here, then it means this, and if it has that one, then it means that, and your eyes start glazing over because it's getting into things you just can't comprehend. And so a teacher is very important because they love the research and we need those people, but the best teachers are often those with the gift of exhortation. One that encourages you to keep moving forward, to keep trying, to keep learning, to keep going on, uh, I, I have struggled with piano. When I went to music school, the piano was my Achilles heel. And yet in order to graduate, I had to pass a proficiency on piano. And all of the pen, all the music professors were there uh, evaluating me and I'm playing along. And one of the tasks I had to do was what's called open score reading. If you've sung a cantata, you know there's a soprano, alto, tenor, bass lines. Uh, and this would be an octavo where those are broken into different staves and your guys are probably glazing over from it. Now, but it's necessary to be able to see those lines and to play it so the singers can hear their notes. Well, that was one of the tasks. So I'm doing this and I am struggling, I'm missing notes. And I get to the place to where I'm just ready to give up, and I stop, and my shoulders slump. And there was a professor, her name's Donna Colgrove, that said, I can hear today, as clear as I'm talking to you, said, don't stop, Wes. And that was all I needed to pick it up and keep going. One of the things they evaluated was, when you made a mistake, would you see where you are and, and keep it going? And that helped me. I would have failed that test were it not for her encouragement saying, don't stop, Wes. And so that kind of person is often a better teacher than a person with the gift of teaching. So as we go into these and as we look at these and try to help you discover what is your gift, we're going to break these down and so that you can obey the Word of God and becoming a better student of God so that you can learn what your God-given gift is because no man is an island. We are here to support each other and to support working together the mission given to us by God, and we're at different levels along that path. We're at different depths. But we're, we can all move forward in learning and growing. So those are the seven motivational gifts. And I'll give you these four closing thoughts. Some of it's a reminder to help encourage you as you continue on. You've heard me say it. There's a minimum of weariness and a maximum of effectiveness when we work within our gift. The work is difficult, the work is tiring, the work is hard. We must do it if we are to accomplish the mission of Christ and to win people to Christ and to grow them up in discipleship. We're getting ready to do that intensely with Team Kid. When we work within our strength, it's not as hard a work. So there's a minimum of weariness. Your spiritual gift can be overlooked because you're just refusing to obey the Scripture. Again, Romans 12, 1 and 2, encouraging us to give ourselves over to God as a living sacrifice. Familiarity with and use of your spiritual gift eliminates the burden of work falling to just a few. Guess what? A job has to be done. And if you're not doing your portion of that task, somebody's got to pick it up, and they may not be equipped for that task, and so it's burdensome to them. By all of us bearing the load, carrying that part that we are equipped to do makes the job easier on everyone. And then finally, each member has a unique role to play in building up of the whole body. Each one of you is as important as the next person To the mission of God here at Campbell'sburg Baptist Church. There are different people with different talents, different abilities, different depths of understanding, but that does not minimize anyone. Each and every one of us are necessary, are a vital part of accomplishing the work, and God wants to grow the body. He wants to grow the family. He wants to bring others in who have abilities and gifts to help us accomplish. And so we start with who we are, who we have, serving God, trusting him to resource us, to provide for us, to do for us, but working obediently before him to accomplish his task. We're going to go into our time of hymn of response, hymn of invitation. The song is, Have You Been to Calvary? And of course, it's talking to that individual, that person has not accepted Christ as Savior yet in their life. That is the first step. That is the starting point. But Christian, have you been to Calvary today, recently? Have you been in God's word faithfully, saying, speak to me, Lord. Not just going to the Psalms to get a balm for your wounded soul, but going to Hebrews, going to the book of John to say, God, what would you have me know today that I need to learn? Have you been to Calvary? Have each and every one of us. Let's stand as Julie comes and leads us in Psalms.